pretty quick little book. We took a little bit of time there in chapter 1 because we wanted to break down all these different words of what it means and represents. Here in Titus chapter 2, Lord willing, time willing, we're going to do all of chapter 2 here tonight. If you weren't with us to get to this point, Titus is being sent by Paul to go take care of the church on Crete. And the island of Crete, this church is a rough church. It's out of order. Verse 5 of chapter 1, For this reason I left you in Crete, that you should set in order the things that are lacking. As I mentioned to you last week, that word lacking is a medical term that means out of joint. The church was not running the way it was supposed to be running. So, what does he feel led to do? He sets up leadership, elders. And we talked about in verses 5 through 9. But we talked about how those words also apply to us as well, too. On how we can be living the godly Christian life. Then, we talked about last week how what they're supposed to do is take this information and then go out there and take a stand for truth. Because what was happening is this false teaching was going through the church. Now that he's established the leadership, now that he's established this idea of sound doctrine, now he gets to the rest of the church. And what I love about this message tonight is no matter where you're at in your walk, or no matter where you're at, what age or season of life, there's something for you to do. And that's what I love about this chapter, Titus chapter 2. We make references to Titus chapter 2 all the time out here. Because it's a quick little chapter that says, this is how the church is supposed to look. So let's see. Titus chapter 2 verse 1, But as for you, speak the things which are proper for sound doctrine, that the older men be sober, reverent, temperate, sound in faith, and love and patience. The older women likewise, that they be reverent in behavior, not slanderers, not given to much wine, teachers of good things, that they admonish the young women to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, chaste, homemakers, good, obedient to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be blasphemed. Likewise, exhort the young men to be sober-minded. Now, no matter where you're at, you're in one of those four categories. You're either the older man, the older woman, the younger woman, or the younger man. You're one of them. Now, I'm not going to put an age on older or younger. I'll let you debate that in your mind. Because I know believers that may be young in age, but they're old and wise in their faith. And I've seen younger believers actually discipling men much older than them. I've seen younger women really taking an older woman under their wing and really helping them along. And I've also seen older women take along a younger believer. It's a great system. And as we've said out here many times before, what we would love to see in the church is this. That you always have somebody that you're helping go deeper in the Lord. You're discipling them. But you also have somebody that you're also being discipled by. That's the way the system is supposed to work. So the older men help the younger men in their faith, but yet the younger men, they're also encouraging the older men. The older women are helping the younger women learn the ropes, but then the younger women are encouraging the older women. And it's this beautiful circle of service and ministry. As we've said many times, we'd love it for you to come out to church and not just find your seat, put your head down, and hope that no one talks to you. But you would come out and say, Lord, who can I minister to? Now, yes, come out and say, Lord, I want to learn of you and be fed by you, and I want to grow, but Lord, who can I also minister to? If you're older in the faith, and you have a lot of wisdom and years under your belt, find one of those younger men or women that you could go and minister to. If you're one of the younger men or women, and you want that being discipled, go up to one of those guys and say, hey, can we meet together? Can we do this? Or you got the time and energy where maybe they don't. Hey, I can come over and help you with that. It's the body of Christ helping the body of Christ. Now, it takes you out of your comfort zone. It's going to make you meet people you don't know. But it's worth it. Christianity is never, ever supposed to be a solo thing. It's never supposed to be an island thing. 
We're designed to be a body. God has told us to be a body. God has told us this is how it's supposed to work. And sometimes we have to let go of personal preferences with that. But this is what God has called us to do. Sometimes we don't get to do the things that we want to do. But the Lord says, this is what's going to bless you. And I guarantee you, get involved in someone's life and it will bless you. So, verse 1, but for you speak the things which are proper for sound doctrine. That word sound is very interesting. In the original Greek, this is where we get our word hygiene from. So the church is supposed to be hygiene doctrine. Healthy, clean, pure, good. There's a lot of churches around. There's a lot of doctrine around. Some of it is not sound doctrine. Some of it is not hygiene doctrine. We need to have sound doctrine. So let's pick on the older men first. Older men, verse 2. Sober, reverent, temperate. Sound in faith and love and patience. Sober. There's a seriousness to what they do. Reverent, worthy of respect, depending on your translation. Temperate, self-controlled, living wisely. And then it's supposed to be sound in faith and love and patience. I find this kind of interesting because I run into a lot of older men. And I look at this list. I sometimes see some older men that are not sound in some of these things. Patience. Why do you think the Lord called out older men to have patience? Because as older men get older, they get grumpy. I don't know why it is. They're closer to the finish line of life and they're tired of running. I don't know what it is. So what happens is these older men that are supposed to be the men that we look up to and want to go to, but you're afraid to go to them because if you say the wrong thing, they don't have patience, they don't care, they're frustrated, what have you. Paul was telling Titus to tell the older men in the church, have patience in what you do. Watch what you say. Watch how you live. Be temperate, self-controlled, live wisely. You know, you may be closer to the finish line of life. That means you've run a lot of miles. Share that knowledge. Share that wisdom. You have a patience, a love when it comes to that right there. Sound in faith and love and patience. A lot of times what I see, and I heard a teaching years ago on this, and it's, and it's really changed the way I think. The pastor was saying this, why is it the closer we get to eternity, the more we slow down to enjoy this temporary world? Where if anything, the closer you get to eternity and age, there should be more of a seriousness. You should go out with guns a-blazing type of thing of saying, I see eternity coming. I want to spend every moment I can impacting Christ. But what happens in our society is what? The closer we get to the end... Well, this is my time to enjoy life. This is my time to enjoy this world. Where really, if anything, the Bible is teaching you, the closer you get to the end, let go of the world. Let go of this. And be more serious about your faith and what you do and what you say. So older men, if you're here tonight, God wants you to have a seriousness about your faith. He wants you to have a a reverence, a worthy of respect, that people would look at you in the church and say, that's a man worth following. They want you to be temperate, self-controlled, living wisely. Self-controlled, I think, is important because once again, I refer to this a lot. I know guys that have gone into what I call old man phase. They have no filter between head and mouth. They think they've lived enough time on this earth, they can say whatever they want, whenever they want, however they want. No, if anything, the older you are, the more you should realize I need to be self-controlled in what I say. And then sound in faith and love and in patience. Set that example. All right, about, what about older women? Verse 3, reverent. Not slanders, not given to much wine. Teachers of good things. 
So reverent, there's our word again, that idea of worthy being respect. Not slanderers. Now, don't get mad at me. Generally speaking, women have a more of a tendency to talk very negatively. I was just reading a book once, about, it was about the Navajo people, and the greatest sin in the Navajo land was for gossip. That was the greatest sin, was gossip. And here, God specifically is telling the older women, don't be the slanderers. Don't talk about people like that. Don't. Because you're setting that example to the younger women that this is okay. This is what acceptable Christian behavior is. Is we can talk about people. We can gossip about people. No, we need to be done. Not given to much wine. There was actually a very big issue 2,000 years ago in the early church about the women that were at home would be start drinking too much with their time. What Paul is trying to tell Titus to tell them is, listen, tell them to teach. Now, does that mean that all the older women are called to lead up Bible studies? No, because he specifically says, what are you supposed to teach? Verse 4, admonish the young women to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, chaste, homemakers, good, obedient to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be blasphemed. What Paul is saying to Titus is tell these older women to take a younger woman under their belt and say, you know what? Let me teach you what I've learned in 30, 40, 50 years of marriage of what works and what doesn't biblically. Let me teach you what I wish I would have known when my kids were toddlers or teens. Admonish the young women. Warn them to love their husbands. Now, isn't that fascinating, men? Your wife has to be reminded and taught to love you. Think that one through for a little bit. You may not be as lovable as you think you are. To love their children... Well, you shouldn't have to tell a wife to remind them to love their children. I know as a man that I'm not around my kids 24 hours a day, seven days a week. I don't deal with all the ups and downs and the issues of that. But sometimes the wives need to be reminded, this is a ministry that you're in. It is difficult. It is not easy. It is draining. You know, a lot of times I'm doing marriage counseling with a couple. I'll hear the guy say something like this. She has it so easy. I get up, I go to work, I come home. I'm the one working. She's the one, if she's a stay-at-home mom, she's the one staying home. I say, yeah, but you know what? No matter where your job is, let's say you've got a half-hour commute, you've got a half-hour of silence on the way to work. You know how many moms would like a half-hour of silence? You have a half-hour of silence on the way home. And when you get to go to work, guess what you get to have? Adult conversation. Remember that. It's not as easy as it looks. To be discreet. Self-controlled, to be chaste, to be pure, pure in action. Women, watch how you live your lives in purity. Women, watch what you're wearing to make sure that you're being pure and chaste. Husbands, help your wife to watch what she's wearing and doing. Obedient to their own husbands. Wow, that one's a difficult one, right? We've talked about that just on Sunday, this idea of submission. But you know what? Backtrack a little bit. Imagine the husband being the way he was supposed to be in verse 2. Sober, reverent, temperate, sound in faith and love and patience. Well, if that's the way the man was, it would be really easy for the wife to say, I want to be obedient to that leadership. When the man is doing what he's supposed to be doing biblically, it makes it a whole lot easier for the wife to be willing to follow that leadership. Why is this so important? That the word of God may not be blasphemed. The word of God may not be maligned, may not be shamed. Because what happens a lot of times is when the marriage isn't going right, the marriage isn't going good, well, sometimes the women have a tendency to get together and they just want to badmouth their husbands. And what happens is that's the witness they're showing the world. 
Oh, I love Jesus with all my heart. And let me tell you how awful my husband is. And that's what the world sees. Now, you may think the group that gets off the easiest is the young men. Verse 6, likewise exhort the young men to be sober-minded. They get one rule. Self-controlled, they get one rule. You know why they only get one rule? Because they're not going to listen to anything else. They're too busy with life. They're a young man. They can take on the world. They're the ones that don't think it's that big a deal to pick up the extra overtime every single day. And I'm going to work seven days a week. They're the ones that are going to work all day, then get home and go do a side project and forget that they're married. They're going to forget they have kids. They're going to forget about that type of stuff. Or they're the guy that's finally going to get the day off. And the way he's going to spend the day off is just doing what he wants to do when he wants to do it with the guys he wants to do it with. Where the wife and the kids are going to say, well, wait a second. We haven't seen you all day. We haven't seen you all week. So God gives them one rule. Be self-controlled. And I think for most young men, that's the biggest sin that they struggle with is the idea of self-control. If they had self-control, it wouldn't fall into other areas. If they had self-control in their mouth, they wouldn't get their mouths in trouble. If they had self-control with their eyes, they wouldn't be looking at things they shouldn't be looking at. If they had self-control in their life, they would leave time to go deeper in the Lord, to be discipled, to disciple somebody. That's self-control. So the older men... Are supposed to be just constantly telling the young men, what? Control yourself, guys. One of the rules I say to my boys more than any other rule is just do what's right, guys. I don't need to go into a lot of detail. Just do what's right. Watch what you do. So this is how the church is supposed to be working. The older men are setting a godly example that's taking a younger man under their wing and teaching them self-control. The older women are setting a godly example that's taking a younger wife under their wing to say this is how it's supposed to work. But then that younger man, that younger woman is then also going to help serve the older and help them in their walk too. I've heard it said many times before, the best combination is a seasoned saint with a new believer. The seasoned saint has wisdom. They've been around the block. They know what they're going through. But the young believer has an excitement that the seasoned saint has lost. Put those two together and you have excitement and wisdom and what a powerful combination that is in the Lord. So you may ever hear me say something like Titus 2. Titus 2 is telling me what? Let the men minister to the men. Let the women minister to the women. What are we supposed to do? Exactly what it says right here. Any quick questions, comments about this here? Ryan. Uh, they mentioned every single group to either be sober, sober-minded, or not using much wine. Mm-hmm. He repeats that, whether you know, sober, staying away from wine, or sober in body, he repeats that. Right. It does. And if you even jump ahead to verse 11, he says it again, we should live soberly. And that soberly is trying to give an idea there of living a serious, self-controlled life. There is a fun and excitement on what we get to do. We get to represent Jesus Christ. That is an amazing thing. You know, I just read a devotional recently basically saying how often the Lord said, I want to use a human to spread the gospel. Why didn't the Lord just do it himself? Why didn't he use the angelic beings, etc.? God wants to use us. And what really Paul is telling Titus here is tell the church there's a seriousness of what you're doing. How often do we not take our walk with Christ very seriously? It's just something we kind of do. There's supposed to be a seriousness to what we do. It doesn't mean you don't have fun, but there's a seriousness to it. Anybody else have anything? David. Yes. Self-control from the Holy Spirit. It, it, It does. And that's basically what the older men are supposed to be teaching the younger men is that deeper walk with the Lord. And that's one of the things, once again, I say a lot, is if somebody comes up and says, well, I can't control myself. Well, hold on a second. As a born-again believer in Jesus Christ, you have the Holy Spirit living inside of you. And according to Galatians 5, 22 and 23, self-control. 
Kathy. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Older men take it easy. Yeah, just just sit there and wait for your death. Um, yeah, the, the New Living Translation doesn't come across like the because um, the New King James here I think reads a little bit differently, where it says exhort the young men to be sober minded. Likewise, to me when I read the New King James, it's saying likewise, likewise what? Likewise, as the older women are helping the younger women encourage the young men to do that. The New Living. Because when I usually prepare a lesson, I like to read King James, New King James, NIV, and New Living Translation. And I'm a fan of the NLT. I really do enjoy it. But sometimes it comes across just a bit bit differently there. So yeah, New Living Translation makes it sound like the old men just kind of... Uh... Yes, yeah, right. It's, 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 you know, it's hard enough for you just to be saved, men. Just wait till Jesus returns. So just twiddle your thumbs. But if you read in the New King James, I think that phrase, likewise exhort, just like the older women are helping the younger women, older men likewise help the younger men to go deeper in their walk with the Lord. Anybody else have anything on how it's supposed to look? All right, moving on. In all things, verse 7, showing yourself to be a pattern of good works and doctrine, showing integrity, reverence, incorruptibility, sound speech that cannot be condemned, that one who is an opponent may be ashamed, having nothing evil to say of you. Exhort bondservants to be obedient to their own masters, to be well-pleasing in all things, not answering back, not pilfering, but showing all good fidelity, that they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior in all things. Now, Paul is kind of reminding Titus here. Hey, now, don't forget for you, Titus, be a pattern of good works. Now, this is why we went into Titus. We spent the summer finishing up talking about the works God has asked us to do. Not works to save us, not works to get us saved, not works to pat ourselves on the back, but works that we're supposed to be doing. So, Paul is telling Titus... Be a pattern of that. Every believer every now and then does something good. Because God's good. But it's supposed to be a pattern. A, a daily occurrence. A dis, it becomes so natural that I want to do what's right and good in the Lord. And he reminds us in verse 14. He gave himself for us that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people zealous for good works. Now, we can be zealous, energetic, and eager for lots of things. But can you imagine if we took that excitement and just put it towards Christ? I mean, seriously, everybody here, you got something that just makes you crazy in a good way. Be it sports, be it some type of music, be it some type of hobby, something. Can you imagine if you had that same passion for the good works that the Lord has asked you to do? That would change your life. And it's supposed to be a pattern of good works. And what's our doctrine supposed to be? What's the truth? It's supposed to be integrity. It's supposed to have a seriousness of reverence to it. And our speech, our words that cannot be condemned, that who has an opponent may be ashamed of having nothing to say of you. Can you imagine verse 8? That your biggest enemy could record every word you say and re-listen to it and say, I have nothing bad to say about this person. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine your speech, your manner of life, being watched and recorded all day, and somebody would have to watch that tape, listen to it, and say, I got nothing to say. I mean, I want to, but I have nothing to say about that. See, this is what Paul is asking Titus. Can you do that? Now, I think at this time we have to stop and ask ourselves some questions here. Okay, first off, put yourself in whatever category you want to put yourself in. I'm not even going to ask you what category you put yourself in. So if you put yourself in the older man category, or the younger woman category, or the older woman category, or the younger man category, looking what Paul mentions here in Titus, are you doing that? 
Younger men, are you exhibiting self-control and how you live and how you act? Older men, are you having a seriousness about the faith? Is your life worthy of respect? Are you sound in faith and love and patience and endurance? Older women, are you watching what you say? Is your behavior respectable that people could use you as an example? Are you taking a young woman under your wing? Young women, are you trying to love your husbands, love your children? Are you pure in what you wear and how you act? Are you being that obedient to the husbands? Are you being good and kind? Are you doing those things? Now, as individuals, verse 7, is there a pattern of good works? Is there integrity in your life? Verse 8, could somebody watch you live and listen to what you say all day and walk away saying, I got nothing to say? Now, this is not trying to pick at you. This is not trying to condemn you. This is where we have to stop and say, are we living it? Okay, fine, we're teaching it. Fine, we're marking verses. Fine, we're talking about it. But are we living it? Are we living it? Verse 9, exhort bondservants to be obedient to their own masters, to be well-pleasing in all things, not answering back. Not pilfering, verse 10, they're not stealing, but showing all good fidelity that they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior in all things. So bondservants, servants, really two simple things there. Don't talk back. And don't steal. I heard a teaching one time that said, anytime you see bond servants in the New Testament, kind of think of your relationship with your boss at work. That idea that you're going to serve there. You're going there to be a good employee. So right now, think about your relationship with the people at work. Verse 9, are you talking back to them? How's your speech at work? It's amazing how a lot of times we have the Christians in church, and then we have the Christians in work. I had a guy one time tell me, he goes, you know, what you're teaching on a Sunday does not work in a factory. I remember him telling me that. Because it just won't work. It will not work to take that into a factory setting and try to do that. I said, I think it can. I think that's why Jesus said to do it. Because what a witness that would be. To be the one guy that's not talking back. To be the one guy that's not saying all those type of things. What a witness that would be. Verse 10, not thieving, not stealing. The little things. 15-minute break, it's a 15-minute break. You're supposed to show up on time, show up on time. Clock in when you're supposed to. Clock out when you're supposed to. You're being paid to be there. Be a good hard worker. Remember what Colossians says, you work as if working for the Lord, not for man. Just those little things. That's setting an example. Why? Verse 10, that they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior in all things, that people would see your life and say there's something different about you. Something different about you and how you live and how you work. Verse 11, For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in the present age, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people, zealous for good works, speak these things, exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no one despise you. And if you're a note taker, there's three things in verses 12 and 13. Deny, live, and look. Let's just sum it up very nicely. You're supposed to deny, verse 12. Teach us what? Deny ungodliness and worldly lusts. Keep it simple. Is there something in your life that you're listening to, watching, thinking, saying, acting on that is ungodly or it's a lust? Deny it. Deny it. It's not worth it. It's not going to help me. It's not going to take me deeper in my walk and relationship with the Lord. I don't want it. And I'll be honest. I still want it. Lord, in the name of Jesus, help me not to. Help me die to that sin. Lord, help me not 
to seek after that temporary pleasure that's never going to be worth it in the end. First one, denying. Next one, living. Middle of verse 12, we should live soberly. There's our word again. Righteously and godly in the present age. Very simply, we should live how? Soberly. There's a seriousness about what we do. Righteously. What does righteous mean? Do what's right. And godly. What's godly mean? Do what God wants you to. Don't overcomplicate this. So, how am I supposed to live? I'm supposed to do what God wants me to do. I'm supposed to simply do what's right. And I'm supposed to have a seriousness about what I do. Seriousness about what I do. This world that we live in, it's a battle. You've got to be serious about that. And then, so we deny, we live, and then verse 13, we look. Looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. You're looking towards eternity. A phrase that's come up in our household a lot is Jesus may return before that even happens. So why are we even worrying about it? Jesus may return. If I'm looking towards eternity, hopefully I'm not allowing the things of this world to start to bring me down. There's a great marriage book that Dawn read read one time, and she brought up this quote from it, and it's a great quote. Basically, as a married couple, the more we look towards eternity and ministry in Christ, the less we're going to fight about the little things in this world that don't matter. So if I do, verse 13, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. So fine, someone offends me, bothers me. Yeah, I'm going to heaven. Yeah, that person did that. Yep, I'm going to heaven. Well, that person said this, or this work situation popped up, or this. Yeah, but I'm going to heaven. I just got to keep my eyes on eternity. And so when I deny and live and look, oh man, now it all comes together. Because why? Verse 14, Jesus redeemed us. I didn't do anything. Jesus purified us. I can't make myself clean. And why did he do it? He wants a special people, zealous for good works. Isn't that pretty amazing? You're special. Create in the image of God. Designed for a purpose. He has a plan for you, and he wants you to go do it. I think one of the most frustrating things in life would be is to be walking through this world and not knowing what in the world the Lord wants you to do. Well, it's kind of simple. Go back up to the first part of chapter 2. If you're an older man, he's already told you what to do. If you're an older woman, he's told you what to do. If he's a younger woman, he's told you what to do. That's the plan. Now go do it. Now when you do it, you'll have the joy and peace. And then as a pastor, verse 15, we're supposed to talk about these things. Encourage these things. And when people aren't doing it, rebuke them. Rebuke them. That's difficult to do. It's difficult to tell somebody they're wrong. I've had people hang up on me. I've had people walk away from a counseling session. They didn't want to hear what was being said. And what are we repeating? Just what the Bible says. Now, you can sit here tonight. You can hear this. You can look at the clock. It's 10 till 8. You got to get up tomorrow morning. You haven't had supper. You got kids to go pick up. Fill in the blank. Or you can stop and say, here in Titus chapter 2, the Lord very simply in 15 short verses says, this is how the church is supposed to work. Are we doing that? Are we doing that as individuals? Are we doing that as a body of Christ? Am I denying and living and looking? Do I understand, verse 14, that Jesus redeemed me? He purified me. And so the only natural reaction to something so supernatural is to be zealous for good works. I just encourage you. Just apply this. Do this. If you're an older man here tonight and you're sound in your faith, Start praying the Lord to bring a younger man in that you can minister to. 
If you're an older man here tonight and you are not what those verses say, pray the Lord will bring somebody into your life to encourage you and uplift you and point you in the right direction. If you're a younger man here tonight and you want to be discipled, go talk to an older guy. Say, hey, I, I want this. I want to meet with you. I just got a phone call this last week from a guy. Um, you know, we've talked about the last couple of services saying, hey, we'll meet one-on-one. Younger man out here, and he said, let's do this. He wants to be that man. It's like, amen, let's do it. Older women, you have a lot of wisdom. Utilize that. Point people towards the cross. Point these younger women towards where it's supposed to be. Younger women, listen, you're in a tough season of life with the wife, the kids, the husband. There's a lot of hats you're wearing. Get encouraged. Get uplifted. Support it. Let's be the body of Christ we're supposed to be. Now, any final questions, comments here about anything? Ryan. Yes, peculiar. We are. We are very peculiar. If you look at what the Bible says, we are peculiar, we are strange, we're aliens. Um, the Bible has made it abundantly clear. We're sojourners, we're just passing through. For some reason, the church seems to forget this point, and we only focus on this world. When really the Bible is constantly trying to tell us, you are a temporary person in this world. Don't get too attached to it. And you're going to be weird. If you really want to go out and live the Christian life to its fullest, you are going to be weird to the world. Your kids are going to be weird. You're going to be weird because you're, you're not going to be the same. But I think sometimes as believers, we try so hard to fit in because we think we can help spread the gospel better. The truth is, if we really want to live the life the way it's supposed to be, we are going to be a special, peculiar, strange people. There's no doubt about that. Anybody else have anything here before we close up? All right. Hey, let's pray this into our lives. If you guys don't mind, would you stand with me, please? Lord, we read this, we mark this, we underline this, but Lord, we just want to live this. In the name of Jesus, help us to put this into practice. We want to be the church you've called us to be. We want to be this. I pray here tonight that whatever area or season of life we're in, you're speaking to that person's heart right now, telling them this is the way to go. Walk in it. Lord, you have redeemed us. You have purified us. We want to be zealous for good works. From this point forward, help us not to think about us, but to think about you. To not think about what gives us the greatest joy, but what gives the greatest glory to the kingdom of God. Help us, Lord, to live this. And all we do and say, and we love you and we praise you in your name. Amen. Don't forget, next Tuesday, sign up. I hope you can make it out for that. You will be blessed with Pastor George. And also, don't forget the meal upcoming for the um, revival as well, too. You guys have a good week. God bless. Hit those prayer quilts on the way out if you don't mind, please. Pray for Steve. Pray for baby Daniel.